So today we're going to be talking about the sovereign Savior. We're going to be in Hebrews 2, 8 through 18. The word sovereign means supreme authority. Christ is sovereign, meaning he is above all else. There's nothing above him. Our human minds really don't really comprehend this. So it's only by faith that we must accept that God, that Christ is sovereign. Because he is sovereign, he does not make mistakes. And he is, has authority over all. See, Jesus Christ has all authority in, in our salvation. And he is the only way to salvation. John 14, 6. Jesus saying this, not me, says this. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Acts 4.12 says all of the ways are wrong. This is what it says. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. See, Jesus Christ's authority in sorrow and our suffering. Though we may not understand the reasons, all things are for the good of his people. I mean, my story, how I came to Christ is because he uses all things, pain and suffering. My father-in-law had to die for me to meet Jesus. That's the only way that I was meeting Jesus at a funeral for my father-in-law. Jesus who said to me, come, come, you're welcomed, you're forgiven. At a funeral. You see, God is in control of all things. God doesn't make all things happen. I think God allows all things to happen because he's an almighty, all-powerful God and he can, he can stop whatever he wants. I mean, he's done some pretty amazing things if you read your Bible. So holding somebody, stopping somebody dying is not a hard thing for God to do. But he allows that to happen. He allows it to happen. And that's on this side. You see, we, we look at it so wrong because we look at this side of the cross. We're not looking at the other side of the cross where there is no more pain and suffering at all. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. And you are one of them people if you have put your trust and faith in Christ. You are one of them all people. See, Jesus Christ also has authority over sickness. God heals. See, here's the thing is, and, and I said this last week. What's more important, to pray for somebody's health or pray for them to meet Jesus? And I will every time say, it's more important that they know Jesus. Because if they die this side of heaven without knowing Jesus, they're not going to know him probably. They're going to know him saying, you're not welcome. But that's their choice, by the way. Isaiah 53.5 said this when, we read, when I read it earlier. 
But he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. That's you and me that this is talking about. He was done that for, for you and me. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we were healed. Whenever I think of the cross, whenever I think of what was done for me personally, I vividly image Christ getting beaten when I should have been beaten. I visually in my head see myself nailed to the cross because that's where I should have been and I should have died. But Christ, and this is you too, you, you were saved because Christ did that. That's the punishment we deserve. Jesus Christ has the authority in separation. You see, he has conquered death. We no longer have to fear death. I mean, Ecclesiastic 3.2 says there's a time to be born and a time to die. That's going to be... Here's the thing. You were born. You are going to die. Unless Jesus comes back before then. You're going to actually physically die. You've been wearing down for a long time. Except Logan. Because he's young. He's still going to die, but. (laughs) There's a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. And Hebrews 9.27 says, And just as it, it is appointed for man to die once... And after that comes judgment. You know what we don't have to worry about as Christians? We don't have to worry about the judgment. I believe that God's going to ask me what I did with, what, with, with, what, what did you do with my son? Okay. First he's going to say, do you know my son? And I'm going to say, yes I do. Okay. That one question right there. I put my trust in him. That gets me through the doors. That gets me into heaven. Okay? But the next question, which I think is just as important, is what did you do with it once you found out? Once you met Jesus, what did you do with that? See, so now we've, we, now we've talked about Jesus being sovereign now, let's look at the sovereign Savior. Hebrews 2, 8 through 9 says this. Putting everything in subjection under his feet. His feet is Jesus' feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Jesus tasted the real death that we are supposed to taste. We we were supposed to die and die. Because of our sin. 
But God, from the beginning of time, had a different plan for our lives. I, even before he created sinful man, okay, he said, I'm going to create them. I know what they're going to do, but I'm still going to create them. And, and Jesus, because there's, there's three of them, and they, they weren't lonely. That's not why they created us. So they've they, they got the Trinity. How it works, I don't know. I, I really don't know if there's three people talking in one head at all, but, but I don't really think that. But I think there's three people, but they're one person. And, and, and the Trinity is too hard to explain uh, for anybody. So they're having this conversation in heaven, the whole threesome. That you've got God, the, the, the Jesus Christ, and and the Holy Spirit. They're just having a conversation, and they're, they're they're just chilling, having some sweet tea, whatever they do. And he says, he says, you know what they're going to do, don't you? Of course, I know what you do. You know what they're going to do, so I know what they're going to do. And Jesus goes, well, I guess a few thousand years after they've. Ruin the, ruin the world, I'll go and save them. I mean, really, this is all my paraphrase, by the way, but that's really what took place. He's, God knows all things. If we're Christians, we should believe that, that God knows everything. He is in yesterday, he's in today, and he's way in the future too. You know, he's everywhere. So he knows everything. So he knew what we were going to do. So that conversation in my head had to happen in some way, shape or form. But he still created human beings. And he died for them. He died for you. You have got to make this personal because we have a personal Savior. See, when we talk about it in a whole that Christ died for everybody or Christ died for all Christians or Christ died, however you want to put that, you've got to make it personal because that's the only thing that's going to change you. The only thing that really changes you to the core is realizing that when he was on the cross, he was on that cross for you. So imagine yourself at the foot of the cross, seeing Jesus there, saying, it is finished. By the way, when he says that, that means you can't add anything to it. So Christ has power. You see, God put all things under his control. He, he is above all. You see, other religions deny this. But always remember what John 1, 1 through 4 says. In the beginning. So we're talking about before everything started. In the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. The Word is Jesus. So, God and Jesus right there, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him 
was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. See, in John 14, 7, Jesus says this, If you have known me, and by the way, if you want to know Jesus, you didn't have to live 2,000 years ago, you can pick up a book, and it's called the Bible, and you can read it. And you'll find a lot of, and, and by the way, we live in a technological era, that we don't even just have to read it. We can, we can listen to it. Because there's not... If you've got a smartphone, you can download the Bible app. And that is free. We're lucky. Because we live in a country that the Bible's not banned. And we can have an app on our phone. And you can listen to it read to you. I don't think that's all the time you should, I think you should actually physically read the Bible. But it's good because when your hands are busy, you're doing the dishes, you could say, Alexa, read whatever verse you want it to read. And you know, Alexa's going to read it for you. She just is like a slave. So we have no excuse to not knowing about Jesus. And he said, if you know me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So if we find out about Jesus, we find about about God and what God thinks like. And we just get a minuscule. This isn't going to give you a full vision of what God like. I think you could read the the Bible back front and still not have a full vision of what God is like because our our small brains wouldn't accept it. We're feeble when it comes to information. We could not take. If you could understand God, that would make you on his plane and nobody's on his plane. Christ was personal in his position. Verse 9, I'm going to read Hebrews 2.9 again. NLB. What we do see is Jesus, who for a little while was given a position a little lower than the angels. And because he suffered death for us, he is now crowned with glory and honor. Yes, by God's grace... Jesus tasted death for everyone. That's God's grace. Jesus tasted death for you. Hebrews 2.9, 2.10 through, through 13 says this, For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, behold, I 
and the children God has given me. See, he, he is the pardoning Savior. You accepted him, he pardoned you. You said, Jesus, at the time when you met him, you said, Jesus, I need what you have because I am not a good person. Now, you can put whatever you want in there. You, uh, we are not worthy. So what God did is he took all of your, my copy and paste, he took all your stuff and went like this, and then he pre- pressed delete, and then he took all of Jesus's good works and the way he lived his life and, and not, not falling to temptation and dying on the cross for the, he took all of that and he pasted it on your life. He pasted it on your life. You see, Jesus brings salvation through Christ's death. He brought salvation to many. Jesus Christ is the only way for salvation. John 10.1 says, Truly, truly, I say to you. And by the way, when you ever see the words truly, truly in the Bible, they didn't have explanation marks back in, in the Greek. So what they would do is repeat words. Because when you say something twice, I do it all the time, uh, it's an emphasize on what you're saying. So he's saying, truly, truly, I say to you, he, do, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. There's only one gate to go through, and it's through Jesus. Jesus brings sanctification to us. And though Christ And through Christ, we have been made holy. You see, we as human beings could not be in the presence of a a holy God. Because we are full of sin and we would just shrivel into nothing. And be a, a pile of goo on the floor. Or ash, whatever. That's what we would be. We would just be like, be like zap gun. Like in the, in uh. The, the Bugs Bunny cartoon with the alien guy when he would shoot stuff and it would just disintegrate and be a pile of ash. Now I'm aging myself. Nobody watches Bugs Bunny anymore. But, but uh, that would be what we'd be like. But because of what Jesus did and he's... Yes! And because of this, we get sanctified and we are made holy. So now, because of what Christ has done, and when when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. He exactly, Sandra. Thank God. I'm glad he doesn't see mine either. He doesn't he doesn't look at that. He looks at what Jesus has done. He looks at Jesus' life. And he accepts you because of that. Not because of anything you've done. You can't earn it. You can't be good enough. You cannot be good enough. John, 1 John 2, 15, 17 says, Do not love the world or the things in, in the world. If anyone loves the world, we love. The love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes uh, and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desire. But whoever does the will of, the God, of God abides 
forever. And the will of the God is to do what he's called you to do. And here's the thing, and I say this too a lot, Jesus is not just Jesus. By the way, doing a little bit of study, Jesus isn't called Jesus very much in the Bible. He is called Lord, Savior, or Jesus Christ. Jesus is a name. His disciples called him Master. When we accept him as our Savior, we leave off the title that he's also Lord. He's Lord and Savior. Because you had a Lord before, they just ran your life like crap. And then you met Jesus, and when you let him have control, your life goes a lot better. And we struggle at this, and we're going to struggle because we are being being perfected, not perfected at minute of conversion. We're being perfected. Once we're converted, once we're converted, it will cause singing. David told me an interesting story, and I, I might be, he'll probably share it again next week, so it's okay. But he teaches guitar. I know I'll share that part at, at, at a Mexican-speaking church. Okay? And it's amazing because I think this is amazing because this is what I'm sure churches used to be like when we, we weren't like little mouses sitting in a chair and scared to sing. And they're learning guitar. David's got to figure out how he can get an amp to the church on the back of his back with a guitar and his bike pushing, pedaling. Because now when he, play, when he's, he, he, he teaches them the songs, which he's also got to learn in, in that Spanish, so he's learned these songs to sing in Spanish. They're singing them so loud he can barely hear his guitar because they are enthusiastic about what Christ has done in their lives. See, salvation would bring singing. That's what we read in Hebrews just now that it brings singing. You know, we. And, and, and I will tell you, the English-speaking church, the patriot, the, the patriot church where most people are from America or Canada, guess how they sing? Probably even quieter than that. I don't know. David said they don't sing very loud. Mexicans blow the roof off because they're excited and they probably have a lot less, I'm sure, because I've seen the guitars that, that David's, David's fixing for them. Okay, than the, than the Patriots and the, and the, uh, from, from Canada and America. They've, they've got a lot less, but they don't. They actually have a lot more because they've got all the passion that God has given them. And they're so excited about what God has done in their lives. And, and they're so excited about being able to play a guitar and sing worship songs to Jesus that they sing out so loud you can't even hear their guitars. That's what its praise is supposed to be like, by the way. Andrew's job is to lead us to worship like that. He does a good job, we do a lousy job. We should be blowing this roof off because we should be excited. But do you know what it is? We live in America. We're spoiled. 
We'll probably find out some more of that in a couple of weeks too when we talk about what India goes through as uh, in their Christianity. When you've got, when you've got an Indian guy who gives out tracks on a train, okay, and when he gets off of the train, he gets beat up. But then he's telling this story to a guy and he's sitting next to a guy and he goes, have you ever been beat up by, for Jesus? And the guy says, what are you talking about? He goes, I've been blessed three times. Blessed three times. And, and this guy, because he tells the story, he, he's beaten up on the, on the ground, laying in a puddle of his own blood. Okay. And you know what he's thinking while he's getting beat up? That guy doesn't know Jesus. He gets up after the guy runs off and starts chasing him to give him a track. How many of you would do that? Because we've got comfortable. We have lost a little bit of the passion. You see, Psalms 22.22 says this, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. And Psalms 100 uh, verse 2 says, Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. And Ephesians 5.19, he says this, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. I don't know about you, but I think, obviously, singing must be important because the Bible talks about it a lot. And they're just a few of the verses. So singing must be important. There's a whole book called the Psalms that's all songs. I think singing is important to God. And when we know what he has done in our life, it should draw us to worship. It should, we should want to worship him. And we should want to surrender. You see, God trusted Christ to do his work and Christ did do his work. He trusted Christ to go to the cross for you and me, and he did. And we've put our trust in him because he's pardoned us now. Because when you put your trust in Christ, that's what's happened. You have been pardoned. It's like getting a letter. You're a criminal and you get a letter from the president saying, you're no longer a criminal. We have been pardoned by the Most High. Nobody, nobody can say you're guilty. Hebrews 2, 14 through 18 says this, Since therefore the children share in the, fl- in the flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook on the same thing, that the, through death he might destroy the one who is the power of death, that is the devil, and, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death, were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every aspect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered When tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He's a practical 
Savior. You see, Jesus came and lived a life just like you and me. He's seen death. He was tempted. He had friends that died. He lived a life just like you and me. So he knows what you're going through. I used the word condensation yesterday for for explaining what happened when Jesus came from heaven to earth and became a baby. Because he, he transferred himself from heaven into a woman and then grew as a baby and then was delivered and then was needing to be fed and looked after. I mean, what sort of God would do that? A loving God. A God who knew that that was the only way. He did that for you and he did it for me. He became human. Because of this, he understands human feelings. You see, God could have showed up 33, nailed to a cross. But, but he wanted to experience what we went through so he could be a sympathetic savior. Hebrews 4.15 says this, For we do not have a high priest who is a, unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, Just as we are, yet he did not sin. You see, when we have temptation, we have a God that has been through it. He was tempted. His character was tested. Because he became human, he faced temptations such as as we face. See, in Matthew 4... We're not going to read it. He was took off to the wilderness. He was took into the wilderness and he was tempted by none other than the devil. By the way, none of you have ever been tempted by him. We do enough damage to ourselves. We don't need the devil to come along and tempt us. But in the end, the devil couldn't win. He is concerned. You see, he is merciful to us. In our failures and sins, he shows us mercy. See, this mercy has brought us back to God, not away from God. Ephesians 4.32 says this, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. We have a problem when it comes to forgiveness. How many people in here... I didn't ask this first service. How many people honestly have a hard time forgiving people? Okay. It's hard. It's hard. My wife's in here, so she is going to probably say, yep, that's true. I always say, and it's hypothetical, if anybody ever does anything to anybody in my family, I'm going to go Old Testament. And... I, I did say to her the other way, the, the other day though, I, uh, my grandchildren, uh, 
their other grandparents, three of, their, three of my grandchildren, not all four, but three of the grandparents, I don't have to worry about going to old school because I'm gonna, they're not, nobody's going to find a body because none of them are Christian and they all own guns. So, so I don't have to do the jail time. And I've joked about saying I would, I would do jail ministry. I, I hope that that's, that's not how I would react, but nobody knows how they're going to react really in that situation until they were put in that situation. You know how I really want to act? I want to show forgiveness. Not that it would be easy, and I think it would take a long time. Because somebody who, who hurts somebody else, you see, we have trouble, you see, we're never going to get to this level because we have trouble forgiving minuscule things that happen to us in our lives. If something tragic happened in your life, how do you forgive them? And nobody knows how they're going to act till they're in that situation. But as Christians, we are supposed to forgive like Christ forgave us. And when you don't, this is what you're saying. When you don't offer the same forgiveness that was given to you, you're saying, I deserve it, God. That scumbag over there, they don't deserve it. You're that scumbag. I'm that scumbag. We are the wretch. You see, we don't deserve the forgiveness and the grace that he's poured out on our life. So as Christians, he's saying you should start acting the way Christ acts. Again, this is hard. We have to work through that. That's why I said it takes time. But we have to learn to forgive the people that have hurt us in our life. They don't have to accept it. They might even think they didn't hurt you. But you have to forgive them because you know what unforgiveness does? It holds you back. It doesn't hold that person back. I know from experience, by the way, big time. We have to let it go. And give God, give the people the grace that God has showed us. Not that they deserve it. Nobody deserves it. Because you didn't deserve it. You pass it to the next person. First Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will always provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So if the temptation comes, if you are in God, if you are uh, focused on God, he, you will see the door quicker to get away from the temptation. You will see the escape route quicker if you're close to God. But if you're far away from God, you're going to take that temptation way too far. There's still going to be an escape route, but not until you get close to God again. See, though God is above all, He has given man a freedom of choice. We get to choose how we act. We get to choose uh, if we want to accept or reject what God tells us to do. He allows us to do this. Note the words of our Lord. To those who reject and those who accept. 
This is what he says in Mark 16, 16. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. If he forced us to accept his will, then it wouldn't be love. See, I love when people, I don't love when people do this, but people do it and, 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 and they'll say, my sister did it to me, and she'll say, well, if God's so loving, why would he let anybody go to heaven? Because he's loving, he let, I mean, go to hell. Because he's loving, he lets people go to hell. I said it last week. Because, because if, you are loving, if you don't like me, right, and I forced you to be in my presence for 24 hours, how would that feel? How would that feel to you? You wouldn't like it, would you? So a loving God is not going to force you to be in his presence. He's going to allow you to choose whether you want to be in his presence or not. He's not going to force you because a loving God would not make everybody do something they wouldn't do. Because if you don't love him here, you're not going to love him there. So to me, if you don't love him here and he forced me because he's a loving God to be in his presence, That would be a living hell. And he wouldn't love me. Because that's eternity. Hebrews 2.3 says, How shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard. We know about this because it was written down thousands of years ago and it was been, it's been translated in so many different languages that we can actually understand that we know how to be saved. You see, the Savior has paid the price for our salvation and our escape from judgment. Now we must be willing to accept Him, not only as our Savior, but also as our Lord. So this week, I just want you to read your Bible. I'm not giving you a scripture to read. I'm not, I, I'm not giving you any particular place to be because we're not going to be in Hebrews for a few weeks. But I challenge you to continue to read your Bible because that is how we're going to learn and that is how we're going to grow together. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for being an awesome God a loving God that watches over us and, and you sent your son, the sovereign savior. None of us could have saved us. And you sent him to watch over us and to save us from our own destruction, God, our own stupidity. And we thank you that you didn't uh, just throw us away, that you made a way that we could be saved if we put our trust in you. And I just pray, God, that you continue to work in everyone's lives in this church, God, and that you continue to pour out on us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.